Good morning, church. Look out, I got some running room up here, man. This, I just want to apologize to you in the front row. If you go home with a stick neck today, I'm, I'm going to try to stay back a little bit. That's pretty steep. It is so good to be with you. I'm Pastor Aaron, the lead pastor of Wrightsville Assembly of God. This is our town, and for this weekend and next weekend, this is our house. Amen. I don't say that arrogantly, this is our house. I mean, I mean, the Lord said, wherever the foot, the sole of your foot shall go, I'm giving you that territory to build my kingdom. So we're claiming it in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. I'm so glad you're here. If you're a guest with us today, we're gonna, we're gonna do the most important thing as the people of God for the next few moments. We're gonna get right into the word. So if you have a Bible today, I wanna invite you to get it out with me. It's Palm Sunday. I got a text message from a friend of mine uh, this morning. Uh, he sent me a message that said, I love you, bro. I hope you have an awesome Sunday. I'm praying for you. And I texted back, hey, look, here comes Jesus. <laughs> isn't that, the, isn't that the, the tone of Palm Sunday? I mean, there was a buzz in town. Jesus is saddled up the donkey. He's making his way to Jerusalem. People are breaking off palm branches. They're getting ready. They're getting fired up. People start waving the branches. A mob uh, starts a parade, and all of a sudden, everybody's declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know what Hosanna means? It means save now. How about on the count of three, we all just declare save now. Now, one, two, three. That ought to be the expectation as we move into Passion Week, as we move into this week where Jesus literally gave everything, even his life's blood, for the salvation of mankind. That ought to be the prayer on our hearts. Save now. Man, as much as it, it feels good to be talking about Jesus coming. I'm actually going to preach out of the Old Testament this morning. So if you have your Bible, uh, go with me to 2 Kings in the Old Testament. And we'll put these verses on the screen. If you don't have one, the Word of God is, is so important to us that we want to make sure everybody sees it. 2 Kings chapter 3. I want to talk about the house of miracles. Today, I want to tell you the story about a guy named Joram. Joram. You know, here's what happens. This has happened to the most spiritual person in here, so don't feel guilty if it's happened to you. And, of course, I'm talking about Pastor Chris, not myself. <laughs> well, you just lost it. There, like, oh, that was pride got in there right at the last second. Uh, honestly, have you ever read an Old Testament story and you got hung up on the names? And you get so hung up on saying the names wrong halfway through the story, you forget what you're reading about. This is one of those stories. I'm just telling you right now. And if you're a scholar here, Hebrew, Greek scholar, don't tell me I'm saying I'm wrong. I know that. I learned a long time ago, when you get to the words you can't pronounce, just say them a little faster and with more confidence. Everybody else questions themselves. They're like, oh, I thought, I didn't, I didn't know you pronounced it like that. Well, we do today, folks. So, so. Don't get lost on the names. I want to tell you about a guy named Joram. Joram was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. We're going to pick up the story here in verse 1. I'm going to read a lot of scriptures today, but there's a few things that I just believe the Lord wants to drop in our hearts. Beginning in verse 1, Joram, son of Ahab, 
became king of Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat. I told you. King of Judah. And he reigned for 12 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Now, his father, Ahab, and his uh, mother, Jezebel, were, were notoriously wicked. I mean, these were some of the most vile kings in all of the history of Israel. They, they, they blatantly rebelled against God. I mean, open, blatant rebellion. They, they worshiped Baal, a false god. They, they set up altars and places of worship and where pagan sacrifices could be made. They even erected Asherah poles so that people could come and worship the goddess of fertility. Like, these are the kind of people that make everybody feel more spiritual when they're in the room. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, I don't, I don't know if I fit in here, but I'm definitely more spiritual than that guy over there. Like, you know, you're not looking at him now, I hope. But you know what I'm saying? Like, Ahab and Jezebel were, were sinful in every definition of the word. You can spot sinners like them. But this text says Joram was not like them. Not like them. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, verse 2 said, but, but not as bad as his father and mother. But look at verse 3. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. Again, we're talking about Joram, the king of Israel, but now another name's introduced. He wasn't as bad as, as his parents, Ahab and Jezebel, but he clung to the sins of Jeroboam. Well, who was Jeroboam? Let me just tell you quickly, Jeroboam was the king after Israel, this great nation that God established, and then they had King Saul, and then they had King David, and under David's dynasty, the kingdom really expanded. Then his son Solomon became king, and then it really expanded. But after a few generations, the kingdom was divided, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. Well, Jeroboam was the king in Judah. And God had told the nation of Israel that his presence would dwell with them in Jerusalem. My presence is going to be in Jerusalem. When you have your uh, sacrifices and your offerings come to Jerusalem, when you have your festivals come to Jerusalem. So Jeroboam becomes king. And he, he gets this thought in his mind, if all the people, every time there's a religious holiday, every time there's a Passover, every time there's a festival, if everybody's making a pilgrimage down to Israel, maybe people will just go ahead and align with the king of Israel. And he didn't want people to leave his kingdom and go to the other kingdom. And so he decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to set up my own place of worship. Like, wh why make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem? We'll just set it up over here. So, I'll, I'll, in fact, I'll, I'll set up my own priesthood. Even though God had told Moses specifically, only the Levites can be the priests. Nobody but a Levite can be a priest. Jeroboam said, you know, forget that. We'll make our own priest. We'll set up our own service time at our own location. We'll have our own ministers, and we'll do it over here. And when everybody goes to worship God there where God commanded, we'll say, no, 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 this is a much shorter and more convenient thing. So the sin of Jeroboam was, I want to worship God. 
I just want to do it my way, in my time, in my place, according to my preferences. I'm not nearly as sinful as, as, as Ahab and Jezebel. I'm not blatantly running from God. I'm not worshiping some false God. No, no, no. I want to worship the true living God. I just want to do it my way, in my time, and in my place, according to my desires. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people that are still clinging to the sin of Jeroboam. A lot of people, I'm, I'm not as bad as those folks. I, I love God, I wanna worship God, but I don't wanna do it according to his prescription. I wanna do it for what works for me. And that's what it says in verse three about Joram. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam. Can I just remind all of us, when you stand before God, when I stand before God, he's not going to judge us based on our parents. He's not going to uh, judge you based on the person sitting next to you or, or your coworkers, your family, your friends. No, no, no. When we stand before God, how many of you know we stand alone? We stand alone. And Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So the standard is not me or your neighbor or your friend or your family or your upbringing or your background or your ethnicity. It's none of those things. It's the standard of righteousness that God alone sets and all of us fall short of it. We all fall short. There's no consolation prize for being less evil than the next person. A lot of people, they would say like, yeah, I know, we get that, that makes sense, and yet you still live that way. We still kind of, we kind of govern our own spirituality based on other people. And, and we, we make allowances for things that the Holy Spirit of God has convicted us about, grieved us about. Maybe in, in the quietness of your own bedroom, the Holy Spirit just convicted you about something you should stop doing, something you should start doing, something he's asked you to step out in obedience and do. And then instead of just letting the Holy Spirit speak to us, we scroll other people's lives and find validation and affirmation for disobedience. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam. Now you know King Joram, king of Israel. Now let's look at his story for a few minutes. Here in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 6 says, So at that time, King Joram set out from Samaria and he mobilized all of Israel. He also sent this message to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Here's the message. He said, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Don't you need some friends like that? Verse eight, by what route should we attack? He asked, through the desert of Edom, he answered. Verse nine, so the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. So on their way through, the roundabout way through Edom, they picked up that king and his troops. So now there's three armies. It's three to one. See, Moab had become servants to Israel. And so they were having to pay taxes. But when, when Ahab died and there was a shift in leadership, they decided, we don't want to do that anymore. 
And so Moab wasn't paying the tax anymore. And so Joram said, okay, I'm gonna have to deal with Moab. So he rallies these other two armies together and all three of them now are going out to the battle to face the Moabites. But look at what it says in the next part of that verse. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no water. Not for themselves or their animals with them. So they all get out there, like, we're going to deal with these Moabites. He gets Israel, he gets Judah, he gets Edom. They all get together, and and they take this roundabout trip out into the desert, and they they didn't pack enough supplies. They 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 didn't prepare for the journey. They didn't take into account the weather conditions. They didn't take into account what time of year it was. And look at verse 10. I love this. This is Joram speaking. He says, What? Like genuinely shocked that my plan, my way, at my time, according to my intentions, not considering the will of God or the word of God, I'm genuinely shocked it didn't work out. But you know people that do that same thing. You're looking at their life. They're self-destructing. You're looking at their life. They're falling to pieces. Like every time you know they should go right, they go left. Every time you're like, oh, but just stop don't say, don't, don't say that. They say it. Or you see them on Facebook, like, ooh, don't respond. Oh, they're going there. They're going, oh, they, they, they did it. And then when their life blows up in their face, they're like, what happened? What, what happened? And they're like, seriously? Bro, like, are you not paying attention? This is Joram. He says, What? Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? But thankfully, Joram had a good friend, Jehoshaphat. He actually knew somebody that knew God. Not somebody that professed to know God. Not somebody that talked the language Not somebody that could just talk the talk, but I mean somebody that really knew God. Listen, you know a lot of Jorums. I know a lot of Jorums. And here's our prayer, whether you're a first-time guest today because you you saw an ad for pop-up church or or you're a part of Wrightsville Assembly of God. If you're here today, here's our prayer, that God's going to use you, that he's going to use me, that he's going to use every one of us to fill the empty seats around us. And you know who he's going to fill them with? A lot of Jorums. You know, people that hate, the the Ahabs and the Jezebels, they're probably not coming unless you buy them lunch. Which isn't a bad idea. Just throwing it out there. Buy them lunch. God save the Jezebels. We need God to save the Jezebels. But it's it's the Jorums that are more likely to show up at Easter. It's those that, they they get it. They know what Easter is. They know the story. They're not going to be shocked when I say, and the tomb was empty. (gasps) Oh! We know, we know, we get it. And this time of year, there's a, there's a holy curiosity. And Joram, who's living his life by his own prescription, not the word of God, needs a Jehoshaphat. He needs somebody in his life. She needs somebody in her life that really knows God. And, and while Joram's like shocked, I don't know, I don't know why she left me. 
I don't know why my kids are acting the way they are. I don't know why I lost the job. I don't know why everybody's mad at me. This doesn't make sense. I'm not sure why I'm so depressed. I don't know why I'm so anxious. They need a Jehoshaphat in their life. Look at verse 11. It says, but Jehoshaphat asked the question, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? Like, we're out here dying, bro. You led me and you and Edom and all of our armies out here. We don't have enough supplies. And we're, this is the moment where we pray. And there are some friends that they, they, they're just, they're, they have just enough Christianese, Christianity, to be inoculated to the gospel. Like, it, it doesn't touch them the way it touches you. They don't feel the, the, the prick of the Holy Spirit. They don't feel that conviction in their conscience. Why? Oh, they're, they're better than their parents were. I mean, there's something to be said for that, right? I mean, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. They need somebody that has a relationship with God that can speak into their life and say, hey, bro, it's time to call on God. It's, it's, time, it's time to find somebody that knows the Lord, and let's get God to speak into this situation because I... I don't have any solutions for you. And you obviously don't have any solutions for yourself, but I, I think we ought to ask the Lord. So it says, when Jehoshaphat asked the question, is there, is there a prophet that we could ask and inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Now, I love this passage of scripture. Because it's almost like, you know, Jehoshaphat's like, hey, we need to find a man of God. And then Joram's like, okay, good, good call. Is, is there a man of God here? Is there a man of God anywhere? And one of his officers is like, nope, I don't, actually don't think there is. But there is this one guy here, he used to work for a man of God. Like, he washed his hands. We could get the towel boy, maybe. Like, I don't know about a man of God, but there is this guy named Elisha, and he worked for Elijah, and, 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 and could we maybe get him? And here, look at verse 12. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. They went down to see Elisha. Why? Because they were impressed with his resume? Because he had star status? Because people were enamored in his presence. No, 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 we don't even know what the guy does. We just saw him with somebody important a few times. But Jehoshaphat knew that the word of the Lord is with him. You know, I'm absolutely confident that God can change lives, heal marriages, call prodigal sons and daughters home, call people to salvation in this performing arts center next weekend. You want to know why? It's, we didn't bring in a big name guest. It's got nothing to do with celebrity status. Come on, Wrightsville AG. It's just us here, right? It's just us. I mean, you're looking at me, I know, but I'm looking at you, so don't look, don't be too judgmental. It's just us. But here's what makes the difference. The word of the Lord is with us. Come on. The word of the Lord is with us. And Jehoshaphat's like pretty much, like, you know, if the word of the Lord's with him, 
then that's what we need. We need the word of the Lord. So they go and they see Elisha. Look at verse 16. They, they get to see Elisha, skipping down to verse 16. Elisha said to them, this is what the word of the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water. Now, you remember what the crisis is. They've got three armies. They're marching into a battle and they have no water. And now they're like, it doesn't matter if we outnumber the Moabites. We're dehydrated. We're fatigued. We're gonna, we're gonna die out here. They're just gonna find us out here in the desert. And so the word of the Lord comes and he says, I'm going to fill this valley with pools of water. Now, as awesome as that is, I gotta be honest with you, that's not the best translation of verse 16. In fact, I, my NIV Bible is what we're preaching from on the screen. It, it, was, it was a republication in 2011. If you have the older version, like the 1984 version, or if you have a New American Standard Bible, uh, or, or maybe the King James Bible, that verse is translated completely differently. And, and looking at the original Hebrew, these are actually better translations. So let me, let me give you a different translations. The New American Standard says, and he said to them, Elijah, Elisha said to them, thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of trenches. Like, I just read you, God's gonna fill the valley, but that translation actually gets ahead of us in the story. There's a really important step here. In the King James, it says, and he said to them, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. So the idea is this. You want a word from God? Here's a word from God. He's gonna move. God, God's gonna move. I didn't bring you out here to die. I didn't bring you out here to be defeated. But if you actually believe that this is the word of the Lord, you better start acting on faith. He's saying, if you're, if you're actually gonna believe that, that God is gonna move, you're gonna have to dig some ditches. Like, go get you a shovel and start preparing the ground because what I'm about to pour out, what I'm about to do has to have a place to contain it. And so is my blessing just gonna spill over and run off or are you gonna be ready to embrace all that I'm doing? So here's the word of the Lord. I'm not gonna let you perish. I'm not gonna let you be defeated, but you better start digging some ditches. You gotta start moving by faith. You gotta start activating what you believe in. Here's the word of the Lord today. God is calling us, church, to dig some ditches. The first time I ever walked in this performing arts center was almost 10 years ago. My oldest daughter, Morgan, was in elementary school. They had like a, a concert here. And my wife and I, we walked in the back door over there where Joe's standing. And I, I didn't even get five feet inside of this room. And I just stopped and I looked at it. I went, wow, I'd never been on this campus before, only the elementary school. Came up here to the high school, stepped in that room and stood right back there. And I go, wow, I was standing with my wife, Day. I said, this is awesome. Promise you, as sure as I'm standing here, the next words out of my mouth, I said, We're gonna have church in here one day. We're gonna have church in here one day. Now, let me tell you, when I said that, we we hadn't come close to breaking a hundred in attendance. We had no, I had no reason to say that in the natural. But you know what this performing arts center is? It's a ditch. It's a pretty one. But that's what it is. I have no way of knowing how many people are coming to church next weekend. Man, we got a great crowd today. I'm happy. You look beautiful. I'm so glad I get to worship with our church. 
all together at one time. But, but we didn't come up here just for that. God's heart beats for the empty seats. So he, he doesn't get as fired up about the things we get fired up about. He goes after the one. He goes after the lost sheep. He counts the 99. You got to count the ones you got. They matter. But then he leaves them in the sheep pen and he goes after the one. His heart beats for the empty seats. Look around. That's the heartbeat of God. And so this performing arts center, it's a ditch that we're saying, you know what, Lord? We're believing for souls. We're believing for people's lives to be changed. And so we're going we're gonna to rent out the performing arts center to make sure that we have enough room for us to not only be able to worship together this Easter, but to invite as many people as we can to come. We got to reach out to the Jorums, those that maybe they know, they know the story, but they're not living the life. We got to reach out to them. You know, your, your heart and your mind today is a ditch that needs to be dug. You, you have to make room for what God wants to do. That's, that's what it comes down to. It's not just saying, you know, God, just, I, I, want you, I want you to do more. I want you to do more. God's looking at you going, I want you to do more. I'm limitless. Like, I, I can do any and everything in a moment. I can change your story. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? Are, are, you, are you willing to, to prioritize my purpose for your life? Are you willing to go after my desires? God's saying, I want you to Dig the ditch. Dig the ditch. Make room for me to speak. Make room for me to move in your life. Some of us, we need, we need it in our minds, we need to make room. Because our logical rationalism is a stubborn resistance of a supernatural God. If it doesn't make sense in your cognitive thinking, you won't let God let it happen in your life. And God is a God of miracles. He's a God of wonders. Some of us, you know every word to amazing grace, but you refuse to let grace amaze you because you won't believe God for anything that doesn't make sense. He's supernatural. So you, you need to dig a mental ditch to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let my cognitive bias get out of the way long enough to let God be God. Move in my life, move in my family, move in my marriage, move in my health, move in this nation. I don't know what it's going to look like, but God, I make room. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That's what a lot of us, that's what causes us to miss out on the miracle that God wants to do in and through your life. We just, we just won't stop leaning on our own understanding. God, like how many times does God have to prod you by his spirit to step out, to be obedient, to, to speak up, to whatever it is he's calling you to. We just, we just think it to death. Think it to death. It, it's a syndrome known as the ready, aim, 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 aim aim syndrome paralysis by analysis some of us we just got to say you know what? I'm just going to I'm going to dig a ditch here by faith 
The word of God says in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. He's talking about the condition of your heart. Some of you need to dig a ditch in your attitude and your motives. Today, uh, we just ended yesterday a, a season of 21 days of fasting and prayer. And I think that verse there in Hosea is a great description of what fasting and prayer is all about. It's breaking up the fallow ground. It's preparing the soil of our heart for what the Lord wants to say and do. It says, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Your time, it's a ditch that you gotta dig, you gotta carve out time for God. Your talent, your abilities, you gotta dig that ditch and say, God, I, I give you my abilities. I give you the, the, the resources. Your, your tithe is a, is a ditch that needs to be dug. I mean, we can always look at the, the statement, you know, the budget, and, and, and we can always make excuses because there's never enough to satisfy all of our needs and wants. But at some point, a person of faith just starts digging the ditch and says, I'm just going to put God first. Like, I believe if I put God first, if this shovel goes in the ground of tithe and I say, God, you can have this, I'm confident that his blessing is going to fill it. That's just a principle of trusting in God. In the same way we pray and trust him for answers. We give and we trust him for provision in our lives. We break up the fallow ground until... His showers come. See, a lot of times what we do is we, we bargain with God. We're looking for the clouds. Lord, we need rain. We're gonna die out here. Did you bring me out here to die? Did you bring us this far for our marriage to fall apart? Did you bring me this far so to, to be embarrassed by the way my, my kids are acting out? Did you, did you bring me this far? And we're looking for God to do something and we're watching for the water and the clouds aren't forming and we're bargaining with God. We're praying Bart Simpson prayers. If you'll get me out of this, I'll never do that again. Some of y'all are too young for that reference. That's okay. Some of y'all are too old for that reference. But God's not to be bargained with. What God says is, dig the ditch. Put your faith in action. Trust me. Trust the word of the Lord and prepare the ground and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing more than you can contain. You got to dig by faith. Look, look at verse 17 in the story. It says, for this is what the Lord says. He's prophesying now. Elisha says, this is what the Lord says. You will... You will see neither wind nor rain. In other words, just keep digging. Just keep digging. Yet this valley will be filled with water and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. And then I love the next part because Elisha says, and by the way, this isn't even a hard thing for God. Like, I just love that he gives the perspective right here, verse 18. He says, this is an easy thing for the, in the eyes of the Lord. Like, I know you're out here, like, at your wit's end. 
you're at the end of your rope and you're going, I don't, I don't know, I need God to move. And he's like, yeah, God can do that. It's not hard. I don't know what you're dealing with today, but let me just remind you, this is an easy thing for the Lord. It's an easy thing for the one who measures the, the oceans in the span of his hand. It's an easy thing for the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. This is an easy thing for the one that knew you before the foundations of the earth were even laid. He foreknew you. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. And not only is he gonna give you something to drink, verse 18 says, he's also gonna deliver Moab into your hand. Like, I'm, I'm gonna meet your needs, but I'm also gonna lead you to victory. What a, what a word from God. Like, I'm, I'm here to meet your needs today, but I'm also gonna lead you into victory. Now, let me tell you how the story ends in case you've never heard it before. In verse 21, it says all, all the Moabites heard that the kings had come to fight against them. So it's three to one. The Moabites realize, oh man, they're, they're coming. They want their taxes, like they meant business. They're coming to fight against them. So it says, every man of Moab, young and old, who could bear arms, was called up and stationed on the border. So Moab's ready. Like, we're doing this. They're lined up for battle. May the best man win. And then verse 21 says, when they got up early in the morning, the sun was shining on all the water. They had dug all those ditches in the valley, all these ditches. And God said, you're not gonna see, you're not gonna see the wind, you're not gonna see the rain, you're not gonna see the clouds form, but I'm gonna fill it with water. And so they just did what they knew how to do. They dug ditches by the sweat of their brow and the toil of their hands, and then they went to bed. Sometimes that's all you can do. I'm just gonna do what God said do. That's what they did, and they went to bed. But overnight, while they were resting, God was working. And that's a word for somebody that's been trying to do it on your own today. You've exhausted yourself trying to make it happen. God said, be still and know that I'm the Lord. That doesn't exempt us from responsibility. We gotta walk by faith. We, we, gotta, we gotta carve out spaces and places in our life for God to move. But when you've done all he's called you to do, rest in knowing that while you're resting, he's working. And so God while they're resting, brings the water. And verse 22 says, when they got up early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water. And to the Moabites across the way, the water looked red, like blood. They saw the sunrise reflecting on the water. And they said in verse 23, that's blood, they said. Those kings must have all fought and slaughtered each other. Now, to the plunder Moab. So they think that the three armies turned on each other, so they throw their swords and their shields down. They grab their wheelbarrows. They go running out there to just glean the plunder. When they get out there unprepared on the battlefield, it says when Moab came up to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and they fought them until they fled and the Israelites invaded the land they slaughtered the Moabites. They won the victory. See, this is what the Bible says. The eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. In other words, he, he's, 
He's got the windows of heaven open. He's got blessing ready, provision ready, miracles ready. And he's looking, he's looking to say, who's digging a hole of faith? Who's preparing? Who's ready to receive? Is anyone here today just ready to receive from the Lord? Amen. So we're going we're gonna to pray here in just a moment. And I just want to read one more verse to you. And this is why I've asked Patrick to come up. I, I, love, I love verse 15 in the story. I skipped over it earlier, but I want to read it to you because one of our core values as a church is atmosphere of faith. Like we, we believe it's our responsibility to dig the hole. It's our responsibility to create an atmosphere of faith. And, and so when, when they came to Elisha and he's getting ready to prophesy, they're like, we, we need a word from God. We, we heard you know God, or at least you know people that know God. That'll do for us. Here's what it says in verse 15. Elisha replied, but now bring me a harpist. You don't play the harp, do you? I didn't think so. We'll go with the keyboard. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord moved on Elisha. There's, there's something powerful about worship that just creates an atmosphere where we can hear from God. Would you stand with me all over this auditorium? We're going to take a moment right now and we're just going to, we're going to dig some ditches by faith. Maybe the Lord's spoken to you very specifically about some things in your life. Maybe it has to do with your thinking, your time management. Maybe it has to do with just the attitude of your heart. Maybe you've been one of those that's just holding out saying, God, if you will, then I, then I will. The Lord is saying, no, no, you first. Walk by faith, not by sight. Trust me, believe me. Break up the fallow ground until the moment that God pours out the showers of blessing. So all over this room, we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna just pray. Would you just bow your head with me right where you're standing? Just, just make an altar right there. Father, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you that you are here in the midst of your people today. God, I'm convicted and encouraged by verse 18 that we read together. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. So Father, today, whatever your people are facing, whatever we're up against, maybe it's a battle with sin and they're struggling with temptation. Maybe it's an addiction that they've been bound by for years and years. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Don't doubt. Don't stand in disbelief today. We're in a house of miracles. The God of heaven is in this room. And whatever you need to give to him today, I want to invite you right now where you're standing to just begin to do it. Just begin to open your heart, open your life to him. If it's sin, confess it. The word says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive you of sin. Whatever you need, if it's a miracle you need today, lift up your voice. God, I need you. I need you. Oh, how I need you, Lord, every hour. 
Father, we're calling on you today. But we're not sitting back in complacency and saying, God, just do miracles so that we don't have to walk in obedience. No, 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 God, we're stepping out in faith. We're going to prepare the places and the spaces in our heart, in our homes, in our minds to say, God, you can, you can move, Lord. Lord, if there's things we need to remove from our lives, we do it right now in Jesus' name. God, let your Holy Spirit search light just turn on right now. Bring conviction in the places we need it. Thank you, Lord, for healing. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for redemption. Thank you, Jesus, that you rode into town on a donkey's colt to bring salvation to us. Right now, God, I sense you are just riding back into the story of our lives. You're riding back in. We declare, Hosanna, save now. Save now. Do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. 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 Before I, before I, I, I cut loose this vast army, I, I, I want to just, I want to encourage you. I was talking with all of our volunteers before the service, and I said, you know, the, the, best, the best thing about our church is, is it's, it's, not, it's not what happens up here, although the Word of God has preeminence. It's what happens out here when we all come together. And it's, it's so easy to take those that we are most familiar with for granted. You know, we do it with our families all the time, right? You know? We cut our family out sometimes knowing that if, if you treated your boss that way, you'd be fired Monday. But we break promises. We don't show up when we said we were going to. And we do the same thing with the church. Can I just remind all of us, we got a really good thing going on here. Like, this is really exceptional. This is exceptional. You are exceptional. And there are people in this community that have no idea that that this potential awaits, that they could have a family, that they could have brothers and sisters that would encourage them in their faith, walk with them in their struggles. They need to know. They need a Jehoshaphat to come along and say, I know somebodies. I know a whole, a whole bunch of somebodies that have the word of the Lord. We should go see them. We should go see him. So we get ready to end this service today.